right. Well, let's go ahead and get started tonight. Uh, we're going to be back over in the book of uh, Philippians, chapter 3. <clears throat> Trying to get a little bit more traction through here, but uh, Philippians 3 has got a lot of a lot of doctrine, a lot of uh, things to make sure that we're paying attention to as we go through it. Um, and uh, again, uh, we're, we've got uh, a bunch of discussions between the flesh and the spirit that we're going to take a look at and some uh, comparisons tonight. But uh, let's go ahead and start with a word of prayer. And we'll get going into our lesson. Dear Heavenly Father, we are, again, very thankful to be here, and Lord, again, very thankful for your word that continues to guide us and direct us. And Lord, I just pray that uh, this evening that our hearts would be uh, just fixed upon you, fixed upon learning from you, listening to your Holy Spirit, that Lord, we would uh, definitely uh, ensure that we have that mind, the mind of Christ that you've uh, clearly outlined for us. Uh, one that is uh, focused on the spiritual things, not focused upon the flesh, not focused upon the things of the world, but focused upon what pleases you, what honors you, what gives you glory and praise. And I pray, Lord, that tonight we would do that by just uh, uh, honoring you and uh, blessing your name by uh, hearing what you have for us. Pray, Lord, you'd be with me and speak through me tonight, that uh, you just uh, be with my voice. And uh, again, Lord, the, the, this time would be honoring, pleasing, and glorifying unto you. And this I ask in your Son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. <clears throat> so last week we, we left off uh, right there uh, around verse 8 and uh, talked about um, those things that that Paul was looking at from the physical aspect how he was uh, looking at uh, all of those physical aspects of what he had done in attempting to, uh, uh, again, use those as an example of how uh, ridiculous it is to boast on them. Um, again, when we, we look at that, and there's something that I didn't mention last week, but when we take a look there at, um, as he walks through that, um, uh, that uh, quote-unquote confidence in verse 5 where he says, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of the Hebrew, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. And all of these things that we look at when we look at those, that it really truly describes what Israel was all about. I mean, they were all about uh, the religiosity. They were all about uh, um, uh, making a religious show of the flesh and everything that's there. Um, and again, that is not the mind of Christ. Christ didn't come to make a religious show. Uh, he didn't come to uh, put on a performance or uh, to boast of himself in any way, shape, or form. Uh, he came for a purpose. He came, as uh, uh, John the Baptist says, uh, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. He came uh, to uh, obviously bring in the kingdom of God and uh, offer again the kingdom of heaven to the nation of Israel. All of those things that we see very clearly in the uh, the Gospels, but he was, again, as he said, not doing his will, but doing the will of the Father and being obedient in that mind of Christ that we saw over in chapter 2. Uh, again, it wasn't focused on self. It was focused on others. It was focused on the Lord. It was focused on uh, specifically God the Father. 
And what we find here is as Paul's counting everything that he's done, basically, as he says here, dung, uh, the idea was that he would win Christ. And I want to take a look at verse 8. He says, Ye doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of uh, Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. And I just want to briefly talk a little bit about that winning Christ. Um, and again, you know, some people, when they look at that, um, they, they don't understand that phrase. But if you look at the word win, you know, the, the word win just simply means to gain victory. It means uh, uh, fighting, uh, specifically in this case, fighting against the flesh to please Christ. That's, that's what this is about. Uh, this is the victory that he wants to win. We, 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 we see the word win used in a few different uh, circumstances. Go over to the book of Proverbs chapter 11, just as, a, as an example. I want to take a look at a couple and just see these comparisons uh, about that word win. Proverbs chapter 11 and in verse 30, it says, The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. You know, when somebody is doing that which is godly, which is righteous, specifically the righteousness of Christ, the righteousness of God, uh, there's a tree of life that's involved. That means that you're witnessing to somebody, you're offering them eternal life, the eternal life that the Lord has given to you, that you're uh, saying that they can uh, have a home in heaven with uh, the Savior, forgiveness of sins, uh, that they don't have to die in their sins and go through that eternal punishment, the eternal condemnation, the eternal damnation. But here he says very clearly in the second part, and he that winneth souls is wise. Now, again, we're talking about winning souls, you know, and again, this isn't the object of walking around with, you know, some sort of uh, special little uh, hash, you know, marker or something like that, that you, you, know, you go on the side of your vehicle and say, hey, look, you know, I want another one for Jesus Christ, or, you know, in the front of the Bible, start making hash marks and, and uh, you know, starting to count so you can boast upon those things. That's not what it's about. That's not what this winning is. This is talking about a gain. And that's, well, that's what winning is really about. It's about gains. It's about increasing. And this is, again, talking about when somebody's winning souls, it's, it's for Christ. When we say we go out and we do soul winning, we are not talking about winning them unto ourselves. We're talking about that that is a gain for Christ, that we are going out there telling people about uh, the Savior. That's the, 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 the purpose behind it. Go over to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And again, to kind of see again this concept of where he's talking about win. When we talk, think about win, we think about sports or something of that nature where there's a game that is being played and there's two opposing sides and uh, one wins over the other. And again, that's kind of a victory thing. But I'll tell you this, this life isn't a game. The Christian life is certainly not a game. Uh, the, the, this is this is real stuff. This is this is very equivalent of that of a battle. And and when we talk about battles and we talk about day to day conflicts, uh, we should be on the winning side, which means we know who Jesus Christ uh, is. We know that He is the King of King, Lord of Lords. We know that in the end He is going to win. We've read the end of the book, uh, what it says in the book of Revelation. Uh, we understand what happens to the devil. We understand what happens to flesh. We understand what happens to sin and death. 
And we understand all the, <laughs> excuse me, all those things, uh, being put away and being done away with in the, the final victories that are there. But what we find here is this concept of winning on a day-to-day basis, meaning that we have gains over the flesh for Christ. We are looking at putting our flesh into subjection, battling against those things that are our temptations and our wants, uh, and, and our tongue, uh, our heart, and our minds, uh, all of those things that are out there, the world, the temptations of the devil, all of those things that we see on a day-to-day basis. And again, we know that the Lord says he's always given us a means of escaping all temptation, any temptation that comes upon us. The, the one, and he says they're common unto man and he's not going to uh, suffer us to, to go through a temptation that we're not able to, to get through. He's always given us a means of escape as we see in scripture over and over and over again. But one thing is very clear here is he wants us to have a victory in that. And the way we get that victory, he talks about that mindset of Jesus Christ, and he talks about it in chapter 4 as well, about saying, I can all do, do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. And again, it has to be Christ-centered. If it's flesh-centered, it's not going to work. And that's the purpose behind what we see here in chapter 3. But here in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, in uh, again, in this other comparison, he says here in verse... Um, <clears throat> Verse 24, he says, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that ye may obtain. And again, he's not talking about running to obtain salvation, all right? He's talking about running to have gains and victory over the flesh, over the things of this world for Christ. And he says, And every man striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. And again, that's the idea. We go back over to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and we see the the things that are going to be tried of what we've done for Christ. Wood, hay, stubble, gold, silver, precious stone. And again, it'll be tried by fire itself. And we know that wood, hay, stubble, uh, they burn. Things that are uh, that are, are purified uh, by fire uh, are, are those things that are the metals, the, the gold, silver, and precious stone. Anything that is, uh, um, uh, that is uh, impure is, is burned off and it makes it more pure. And those uh, precious stones enduring that fire, uh, because that's kind of where they come from. They come from fire. They come from great pressure uh, in the earth and things pushed together. But what we find here is he says those that are running a race, they're doing it for something that is corruptible. That crown is, is a temporary thing. It comes and it goes. You know, the next time that the race is run, somebody else is going to be the winner. You know, every every time they have a Super Bowl or a World Series or something of that nature where there's a trophy, somebody else wins it. Next year, somebody else is going to win it. And there are people that try to win it every single year, but then at some point in time, age catches up with them or whatever it may be. Different teams um, may not be as good as they used to be and so on and so forth. But what we find here is he's talking about that incorruptible crown. He's talking about those things that we do for Christ. The things that we do for Christ are not going to corrupt. Those things are things that we've laid up in heaven as the treasures that he talks about that uh, thieves uh, don't break through and steal and rust, uh, excuse me, a moth and rust doth not corrupt as he says. 
But here in verse 26, he says, I, they, I, therefore, um, so run, not as uncertainty, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep my body, uh, keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. And this is the issue. He's coming down to what his body is doing. And this is, this is one of the greatest issues that Christians fight with. And this is what we're talking about in Philippians 3. You know, when we're talking about winning Christ, when we're talking about making gains in our life, and we're talking about growing in Christ, getting victory over sins that we have been plaguing us, sinful habits that we're putting away and putting on the things of Christ and doing those things which are righteous and doing those things, that takes the right kind of mindset. And that kind of mindset is the one that is humble, it's a servant attitude, it's obedient, and it's not one that's focused on self as an own reputation. But it is focused solely upon the will of God and pleasing and honoring Him. This is why that that winning is, that I may, as he says here, win Christ. Making a gain for Him. This is the concept. When we get back over there to verse 9, turn over to Philippians 3 again in chapter 9, or chapter 3 verse 9, <clears throat> this is what his desire is. He, he wants to first and foremost win Christ, making gains for him, putting himself down, his flesh down and, and elevating Christ. But in verse 9 it says, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness which is of the law, but that which is raw, uh, which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Now again, we're not talking salvation here. We're talking about the day-to-day fleshly battle, the decisions we have to make. Yesterday, um, I was uh, doing the the lesson for basic, and we were talking about uh, Psalm chapter 34, verse 1. Psalm chapter 34, verse 1 is a very, very powerful verse, because it talks about how we need to control what we say. How what we say, as he, it, it, it makes it clear over there, that we should have continual praise coming out of our mouth. That's the idea, the concept behind it. That, that when we realize what we're doing, we should bless God at all times with everything that comes out of our mouth. That's God's expectation. That what comes out of our mouth should bless Him and should be praising Him. If it's not one of those things, then we actually have to ask ourselves, who is it blessing or who is it cursing? And... Who is it praising? And is it praising myself? Is it praising something else? Is it praising something of the flesh? But regardless, if it's not blessing God and it's not praising God, then we have an issue with what comes out of our mouth. And then that means we have an issue with what's in our heart. So when we look at this here, we we understand there's that constant battle. James talks about the battle. And says, look, you can bring your body into subjection, but the first thing you need to do is you need to learn to control your tongue. There's a lot of people that think that they have their body in subjection, but they can't control their tongue. And God says, look, if you can control your tongue, you're a perfect man. 
Now, he doesn't say that to mock us or to say, nah, 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 you're not going to be able to do that. He does that to say, you can do it. You just have to put in the effort. That's the concept that we see here. And when you're trying to win something, you got to put in effort. You got to put in effort. I remember when we had our little paintball uh, team that was, uh, uh, would go up and play up at Royal Ridges and uh, we played a couple of tournaments and uh, there was one tournament, um, I, I really didn't have to put in any effort. Everyone else put in effort. Uh, my job was to, to stay back um, uh, because I couldn't uh, be, be captured or killed uh, on that, or tagged, I guess I should say, not killed, but tagged. And um, <clears throat> otherwise we would lose points. So I stayed back and I just kind of blended in with my environment with my little ghillie suit and waited for them to bring uh, the the objectives back to me and and collect them all and and protect them and protect our flag and everything. And I just remember, uh, you know, it was three games and uh, we're out there 20 minutes apiece and they go out there and the first game, uh, all, all, all my team, they just go out there and they're just, I hear all of this, you know, uh, the, the, the markers going off and paint splattering everywhere. People yelling hit all over the place. And I'm just sitting back and I'm, I'm tense. I mean, I'm like, I'm ready. I'm ready. 20 minutes goes by. I didn't see one person. Not one enemy came near. My guys came by and dropped off stuff that they had captured. And that was it. I'm like the whistle or the horn sounds and I'm like, Oh, okay. So the next, next time he comes around, I'm sitting there and uh, I'm, I'm a little, a little more relaxed this time. And they go out there and they do the same thing. 20 minutes goes by and uh, the horn sounds and I'm just kind of like, well, this is weird. I'm not having to do anything. I didn't even take a shot. I was like, this is, this is kind of boring, but it's kind of funny. The third, the third game comes and I'm just, I'm just sitting up against a tree, just relaxing. I got my marker slung. I mean, like if somebody was to come up, I would be like totally unprepared. I'm just sitting there waiting for something to happen. Nothing happens. I didn't put in any effort, but we won that tournament. We won that trophy. Now I didn't have to put in a lot of effort, but the guys like Mike Nemeth and everyone else that were out there, that were out there running and attacking and doing all of these things, they put in a lot of effort. So when we talk about winning Christ, and we talk about dealing with our flesh, and being found in Him, and 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 again, uh, um, you know, knowing Him, uh, understanding the power of His resurrection, understanding His sufferings, understanding uh, what He went through in His death, and all of these things, uh, that takes effort. That's not going to be something that just again, we we can't just pop a magic Jesus pill and make everything okay. That doesn't exist. God says we have to have the, the, the effort put into this. And the great thing is, is, is the more effort that we put into this, there's more effort from the Lord that's put into what we do. As he helps us, as he guides us, as he teaches us. But we're the ones that actually have to go about and say, this is my desire. And this is what Paul's communicating. Jesus Christ, when he came here to earth, he made it clear that it wasn't to fulfill his will, but to do the will of the Father. 
He was doing the desires of God the Father. Now again, understanding the Trinity and how that all works, that may be a little complex for us to to grasp, but, but therein lies the issue is he was doing the will of the Father, not his own will. We as Christians, we mirror that. We're to do the will of God, understand the will of God, know the will of God, so that we do that in our life and not our own will. Because this is the real battle between flesh and spirit. Our our will is of the flesh, is of the world, and many times it can be of the devil. But if we're to do the will of the Father, the will of the Lord, then we are doing what the Holy Spirit, the things that are spiritual, teaching us. It's the war between the flesh and the spirit. The flesh and the spirit that's constantly going at each other. But what we find here is he says, I want to be found in him. Not only do I want to win Christ and, 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 you know, make that gain, but I want to be found in him. I want to be found in him. Now, this is a very interesting phrase. Now, there's a couple of things that we need to understand when it comes to being in him. Let's turn over to the book of Ephesians. It's a couple pages over. In Ephesians chapter one, I want to point out a couple of things. Ephesians chapter one, In verse three, as he continues the salutation to the, to, to these Christians, he says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. All the blessings that we have, these heavenly blessings, as he's referring to here, those are all found in Christ and in Christ alone. If we try to find them in anything else, we're not going to find it. It just doesn't work. We can't find it if we're not looking in the right spot. So these blessings that we receive, the, all these spiritual blessings, then heavenly places in Christ. Now, this is important to understand in heavenly places in Christ, because when you go over to chapter 2, jump down to chapter 2 and take a look here at verse 6, or let's just back up just a little bit to verse um, <clears throat> verse 5. It says, even when we were dead in sins, hath, that's talking about God, Jesus Christ, quickened us together with Christ. It says, by grace ye are saved. And it says, and in verse 6, and hath raised us up together and made us to made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, here's the interesting thing about this. When we are raised again in the newness of life, talking about what happens at salvation, when we've trusted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and we're a new creature, he has placed us in Christ. Not only is Christ in us, but we are in him. Okay? He makes it clear over the book of John that we're supposed to abide in him. If we don't abide in him, then we're going to be doing things that are sinful. But here he makes it very clear that right now, if you are a saved, born-again child of God, you are in Christ who is at the right hand of God, the Father, which is God himself. That means part of you is currently in heaven. Now, again, that just kind of blows our minds when we think about it. 
And you just kind of short-circuit everything. But let's think about this for a second. If part of us is there, then doesn't that mean that we want to make sure that what we're representing here on earth is Jesus Christ? I want to be found in him. What does that mean? I want to be found doing what is right. I want to be found doing what is godly. I want to be found doing what is perfect, what is holy. The things that he tells us that we're supposed to do. That's what I'm talking about, and that's what, what Paul's specifically talking about when we talk about being found in him. We're talking about a witness. We'll take a look at verse 10 of chapter 2. It says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained, that we should walk in them. Those good works are found in Christ Jesus, and we should walk in them. So that's where we should be found. So when he talks about over there in chapter 4 and verse 1, where he says that we should walk worthy of the vocation wherewith we are called, that means, again, that we are representing Jesus Christ. If we want to please him, and we want to do everything for his gain and for his glory, then we should understand that that means that we have to be found doing what is right. I mean, he talks about that with many of the parables where he goes over there and he finds these servants and he wants to find these servants doing what is right. Doing what they're supposed to be doing. Not being lazy and not just sitting back and doing nothing, but actually doing something, that form of a servant that we're supposed to be found in Christ doing. Turn over to another passage over in the book of 2 Corinthians. Let's take a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5 this time. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians chapter 5. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and if you jump down there to, oh, let's go down to verse uh, 17. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> Verse 17, it says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, that means, let's just understand that first phrase. If you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're going to be found in him. Okay. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Not, not, not you're going to be a new creature. You are a new creature. And what does he say? He says, old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us a ministry of reconciliation. This is what we are supposed to be doing as Christians. That ministry of reconciliation, as he goes on a little bit further down into verse 20, he calls it an ambassadorship. We're ambassadors. What does an ambassador do? An ambassador represents the the concerns of the nation which is sent to that person. So if we send an ambassador, a U.S. ambassador to a foreign country, let's just say we send one to Russia, which we I think we got expelled at this point in time because we expelled theirs and vice versa, but... Whatever, but it'll say we send one over to Russia. He's not representing Russian interests. That person is representing U.S. interests. So here we are in a foreign world. This is not our home. 
We are ambassadors. That means that we are representing the interests and concerns of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And if we are going to be found in him, we need to be found representing those things. Because we are a new creature. We're not part of the old world. We're not part of the old man. We're not part of those things any longer. There is a new creature inside of us. Jesus Christ is in us. The Holy Spirit is inside us. God is in us. And we are in him. That's a brand new thing. Because before we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Now we're not. Now we're not. Go over to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 8. There's a lot of verses that cover this subject matter. Touching on a few of them here in, in Romans chapter eight, there's a, the whole the whole chapters kind of deals with this subject. But I want us to see this here in Romans chapter eight and verse one. It says, "There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit." Now again, he clarifies and he says that look, if you're saved, you're you're walking after the Spirit. Now I understand that we often do error and we do sin and we do walk after the flesh. But again, because we are new, we are on a different path. We are to walk worthy of that vocation again that we are called unto. So when we see a verse like this, there's a great comfort behind it because he says, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ. You know what that means? That means you cannot be condemned for your sins. Now, who does the condemnation? We do. We condemn ourselves. The act of committing the sin is the condemnation. I mean, he makes it very clear over there in John uh, chapter 3, verse 17. But when we start realizing what he's talking about, when he's talking about Nicodemus over there, he's talking about our sins is what condemns us. We're guilty. We're guilty. But now that we are in Christ Jesus, he's paid for that. There is no condemnation. Now, again, obviously, as he says in chapter 6, does that mean we continue in sin? He says, God forbid but what we find here is he says that we are to be walking after after the spirit, not after the things of the flesh. Because if you jump down here a little bit further in verse 2, he says, For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. Christ is greater than our sin. We need to get a hold of that concept. Believers really truly have to get a hold of that concept. Because here's what, here's what happens. We sometimes think that sin has too much of a hold on us. We can't get over something. We can't get victory over it. We can't, uh, you know, whether we've got an addiction or whatever it may be. Now look, I understand a lot of those addictions are, are indicative of a different problem. They can, you kind of consider those symptoms of a greater issue. You know, a lot of people will, will go and they'll sit there and they'll, 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 they'll like to pick the low-hanging fruit. 
And they'll preach against uh, drunkenness and tobacco use and drug abuse and and uh, pornography and fornication and uh, um, all these other things. But let's just get right down to the, the issue behind all of that. The issue is, is the flesh-filled, pride-filled heart that does what it wants to do in rebellion against God. That's the problem. Now, we can try to address all of those things, but if we never address the pride in the heart, they're just going to come right back. And that's why people don't get victory. Because they don't mortify their members. They don't put their body under, as Paul did. They don't take that pride and say, you know, all this stuff that I think I'm good about, you know what? That's dung compared to Christ. And they'd have to treat it that way. That's a total change of a mindset. This is a transformed mind. This is what it has to be. Jump down to verse uh, verse 9 of this uh, same passage in chapter 8 in Romans. <clears throat> he says, But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so you be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And he makes it clear. So, so again, just to clarify this, if you have the Spirit of, of, of Christ in you, the Holy Spirit, which you receive upon salvation, as the book of Ephesians talks about, you're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. He's dwelling in you, as he says over there in First, First Corinthians as well, over there in chapter 6. He says, what, know you not? You're the temple of the Holy Ghost. He's dwelling in you. So we understand that. That means he makes it very clear here. He says, look, you're not in the flesh. You, you are now, you are now spirit directed. Now look, just because we're spirit directed doesn't always mean that we're going to be listening to the spirit. Because sometimes we like to listen to our own flesh. But we have to get to the point and the concept of the mind of Christ where we are obedient and we are humble and we put down our pride and we simply are more concerned about the glory of the Lord than anything that's going to be in our life. That's the concept of this mindset that Paul's talking about here. This is what he wants. He wants Christians to be found with the mind of Christ. This is the concept. So when we go back over there to chapter 3 in the book of Philippians, it says, and be found in him, this isn't just a casual statement that he's saying. He says we truly need to understand this concept of who we are, our identity in Christ. There, I mean, today everybody's got an identity crisis. I mean, it's 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 all over the place. I mean, you got people, you know, and it's a huge issue. It's a huge issue. You know, people are identifying this and identify as that and so on and so forth. You got people identifying as ridiculous things and you've got people that are dead serious about it too. And some people are just kind of making fun of it along the way. But I'll tell you this, you know what the real true identity is? It's found in Jesus Christ. That is his intent. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance is what he says. So you know what his identity for you is, his desire, is that you would be a child of God. But not everybody is a child of God unless they have trusted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. 
If they're not trusting Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, then they are a child of wrath. They're a child of disobedience. They're a child of darkness. They're a child of the devil. And we realize that as Christians. So here he's saying, look, you've got the spirit in you. You need to behave this way. And nothing's, you know, the end of the chapter is he says nothing's going to separate us from the love of Christ. But what we have to begin to understand is that there's the expectation that we would be obedient to what God is asking us to do. There's this expectation of obedience, and this is where we should be found. We should be found obedient. We want to be found doing that which is right. And if you go back over there to to verse 9, where it says, And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law. Now, here here's this issue. And he starts getting into this issue of the flesh and the spirit. And he makes this comparison. Now, his own righteousness was the fact that he kept the law and he was, quote-unquote, blameless. I don't think any of us here would even dare say that, okay? But Paul's saying that to show the foolishness of the boasting behind it. Because everybody's going to sit there and go, come on, Paul. Well, blameless means that nobody can pin the blame on you. Doesn't mean that you're free of guilt. <laughs> doesn't mean that you're innocent. It doesn't mean that you didn't do it. It just means nobody can put, pin it on you. There's a lot of criminals that run free that there's no evidence to pin it on them. They're quote-unquote blameless, and they can say they're blameless. But in the eyes of the Lord, Paul knew exactly what he was. He said he was the chiefest of sinners. So he understood that. He understood that concept. But he's saying all of this to say this. He's saying, look, when I boast about my own righteousness, I'm not going to be found in him. Because that's my own doing. That's my own flesh that's, that's doing this. And yeah, okay, so I kept all of the law. Big deal. Even if you kept all of the law, it still didn't mean that you were, that you had a home in heaven. That's something that I think a lot of people forget. Because again, if you're guilty at one point of the law, you've offended every single last one of them. So what we begin to realize here is, is as Paul gets into this, he's talking about his comparison, what he is. Now he already compared all his good stuff that he had to, to excrement. <laughs> So now, now, now he's beginning to, to, to show and point out that even his righteousness that he thinks he has or that he thought he had was nothing. And it means that he wasn't going to be found in Christ if he's basing everything off of his own righteousness. Turn to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 64. Isaiah chapter 64. <clears throat> <clears throat> Isaiah chapter 64, and in verse 4, or in verse uh, 6 here, he says, But we are all as an unclean thing. Now this fits right into, There is none that doeth good, no, not one, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. He says, But we are all as an unclean thing. 
Now, again, this is specifically, we're talking about some things with Israel here, but there is application to us. And it says, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Filthy rags. Nobody boasts about how filthy their rag is. What do we do with the filthy rags? We try to wash them. We try to clean them. Or we throw them away. We throw them away. Now, again, let's just get real serious about what, what when we talk about this for a second and, and, and think about this concept. The comparison of our righteousness to Christ's righteousness. I mean, we, 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 we've probably all had animals, whether it's a cat or whether it's a, a dog, and we all know that those animals, from time to time, have a tendency to hack things up on the floor. Now, look, you're sitting there going, okay, this is getting a little gross, but bear with me, all right? Now, what do you do? You clean it up. You take either a tissue or a paper towel or something of that nature, and you take it and you scoop it up and whatever. But you know what you wouldn't do? You wouldn't take that same rag that you had, and next time somebody comes over and go, look at how beautiful this rag is. Somebody would be like, get that away from me. You're a sick puppy. <laughs> Something wrong with you. Now, again, I just want us to compare because sometimes we have a tendency to not think that filthy is filthy. But God says we need to look at sin as exceeding sinful. We have to look at it with that kind of disgust. We go, no, nobody in the right way would do that. Okay, good. Now that we understand what our righteousness is, why in the world would we want to go around boasting about it? Why would we want to sit there and lift ourselves up in pride and say, look how good I am? And this is what Paul's getting at. He's like, okay, you want to play the boasting game? Look at me. I'm saying all I did all these good things, but you know what it's equivalent of? It's equivalent of excrement. (laughs) And Isaiah is saying the same thing. He's saying, look, you know, whenever we try to do what is right, you know what it looks like? It looks like a filthy rag. He said it looks like a filthy rag. That's the problem. Take a look at another passage. Go over to, um, oh, let's go over to Romans again. Let's go to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. Uh, Romans chapter 10 in verse 1, it says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer for to God for Israel is that they might be saved. I mean, he loved his people, okay? He says, For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. Now, here's the problem. This is why we're getting ready to go into that next part, talking about knowing him, and knowing it, it, specifically the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering, and being made conformable unto his death, Knowing Christ, knowing what that's about. The Jew had a great deal of zeal for the things of God. But you know what? They didn't even know who God was. They knew maybe his name. But that doesn't mean anything. Just because I can say, well, I know somebody and I know their name. That doesn't mean anything. That doesn't mean anything. I can sit there and say, well, hey, I know Jay Inslee. 
Okay, I met him once. I don't know him. I know his name. I know who he is. I know that he's a governor of our state. I know what he stands for. I know how he thinks somewhat according to some of his decisions he makes, which I don't always agree with. (laughs) But again, I'm not going to say I know him. But I'll tell you this, there's a lot of people that run around saying they know God and they say they have a zeal, but they don't do, they do not know him. They have no idea who he is. They have no idea who Jesus Christ is. I heard something the other day. Uh, oh man. Yeah, I, I tell you, you know what? I, so I'll be transparent with you. You know, sometimes I really, I have to stay off the internet. I was, I was watching this, this video and man alive, I just about flipped my lid. This guy gets up there claiming to be a pastor of a church and he starts talking about how the, the, the account of, of Lazarus, uh, being raised from the dead wasn't really Lazarus being dead. That when he, when Jesus Christ called him to come out of the tomb, he was asking him to come out as, 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 as homosexual. Because he was bound by the traditions and the, the religious trappings. And he, he was truly calling out his friend to come out of the closet. I just about lost it. That guy was actually preaching that as truth. You know what that is? That's a damnable heresy is what it is. That's a lie. That is an absolute lie. And you know what that takes away from who Jesus Christ is? That's not who Jesus Christ is. That's not what he did. That is not the account. And in no way, shape, or form would Jesus Christ even remotely have anything to do with that message. That message was not from God. And this guy claims to know Jesus Christ. No, he doesn't. He doesn't know him. doesn't know a thing about him. But that's, that's the world today. That's what people call themselves. They have a zeal for Christ, but they don't know who he is. That's the issue with Israel. But take a look here as they do these things in error. We take a look at what he says in verse three. He says, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness. Ignorant of God's righteousness. Just like that one guy. He was ignorant of Jesus Christ's righteousness. Jesus Christ did not condone sin. Okay. As a matter of fact, when that, uh, uh, woman that was caught in adultery was brought to him, he said to her, go and sin no more. That was the expectation. But all those that were around that were judging, he said, whoever's going to judge, you go ahead and cast the first stone. Just be advised, we're going to take a look at you next. We're going to take a look at your sin. Because they were just as guilty as that woman that they were accusing. Jesus Christ came to seek and to save that which is lost. That was his purpose and that was his intent. That was his ministry and that's what he communicated. He did not condone sin though. In any way, shape or form. 
But here it says, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. That's the issue. That's the issue. This is what Paul's getting at over here in chapter 3 of Philippians. He's saying very clearly, he says, I went about to establish my own righteousness. He's, he, he said, he's, he's one of these people that was doing exactly this. And the reason he can talk about it is because he was the one that was doing it. Remember, he had a zeal persecuting the church. He thought he was doing the right thing. But he wasn't. And what we find here is we find this issue that's really at the root of all of it. It's they're going about to establish their own righteousness. So when we start boasting about ourselves, we are ignorant of God's righteousness. We're boasting about our own righteousness. And what are we doing? Uh, we haven't submitted ourselves unto the righteousness of, of, of Christ. We're not following up with that saying, I'm going to do what he did. We're not following up with that and saying, I'm going to follow after what he wants. He wants me to be righteous. I need to be righteous. Not according to myself, but according to God. That's the issue. That's the problem that we have here. This is exactly what he's talking about. It's not our own righteousness. Go over to Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3. Again, I just want to point this out. This is why people can't work their way to heaven. This is why you can't earn it. This is why eternal life is not capable of being obtained by us, but eternal life can only come through Jesus Christ. So in in, in Titus chapter 3, Titus chapter 3 and in verse 5, here he is, he's saying, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration, by the renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Christ Jesus, or excuse me, through Jesus Christ our Savior. That's how we're made those the, 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 those heirs of eternal life, as he talks about in the next verse. What is it? It's through his mercy. It's through his grace. It's through his faith. Sometimes we get that messed up about his whose faith it is. But it's the faith of Jesus Christ that saves us. We can't go around boasting about how great our faith is. Because let's be honest, we don't even hardly have any faith. The disciples, how many times did he say of them, O ye of little faith? Peter walked on water. When's the last time you did that? He walked on water, and Jesus said to him, he had little faith. We don't have enough faith to walk on water. But Peter did. But he still didn't have a lot. That faith that we need to be looking at is that faith that was exhibited through Jesus Christ. Being obedient to the will of the Father. This is exactly what we're supposed to be doing in our life. Because take a look, go back over there to Philippians chapter 3 and finish out the rest of that verse. And it says, and being found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ. The faith of Christ. 
the righteousness which is of God by faith. Now we know when we trust Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, he imputes his righteousness unto us. He gives it to us and he clothes us with that. And praise God for it. Now, if we're going to be found in him and we're going to want to win Christ, as he's saying that this should be his, uh, our desire as well as it's his desire, that we need to understand that concept. You know, that it is through him, through his righteousness. Turn over to 1 Corinthians. Let's take a look at 1 Corinthians. I want to finish this one point. So I'm going to try to get through this. (coughs) But let's see what we can do. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Take a look at verse 29. It says that no flesh should glory in his presence. Our flesh cannot glory in the presence of, of the Savior. It's just, it's not, I mean, I think we've established what our flesh is, all right? In verse 30, it says, But of him ye are in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That's who we are found in. He's made all of those things for us. And I want you to focus on there, who is made unto us, what does it say? Righteousness. Not only does it mention wisdom, sanctification, redemption, but I want you to know it says righteousness. Unto us, it is righteousness. That is who he is. We have to view him as that. So if Jesus Christ says that this is what we need to do, then that is what is righteous. And again, to define righteousness and that which is righteous is doing that which is right all the time, the right way, at the right time. That's righteousness. That's fully yielded to, to, to the Holy Spirit. That's what that is. That's what righteousness is about. Not, again, our own righteousness, but his. Go over to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 3. <clears throat> going to take a look at a couple passages in Romans Romans chapter 3, and then we'll take a look at chapter 4 and chapter 9. <clears throat> but here he, he, he says in Romans chapter 3, jump down there to uh, oh, verse uh, 22. It says, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all them, uh, excuse me, unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. He says he doesn't matter. Doesn't matter your ethnic background. Doesn't matter the color of your skin. Doesn't matter your gender, male or female. Doesn't matter any of that. Doesn't matter your education. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. No matter how good we are, we're always going to fall short, fall short. The standard for getting into heaven is him, his righteousness. We can't, we can't get there. So Jesus Christ came and died for us and he was made righteousness unto us. Specifically, as he's talking about in this passage in verse 22, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ. In verse 24, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Can't be found anywhere else. 
whom God has sent forth to be a propitiation uh, through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remissions of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say, that this time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. This is the, this is the concept. That righteousness comes from him. So if we want to know how to do that which is right, we have to know Jesus. We really truly have to know him. And to know somebody is to know how they think. To know how they think. After couples spend some time together, they start kind of learning how the other one thinks. Up until something surprises them and then they realize, oh, maybe I didn't know them as good as I should, I did. But, but you kind of get to know them. You kind of get to know who they are. And all couples are supposed to be that way. You're supposed to be open books to each other. You're not supposed to be secretive. You're supposed to be open. Now again, when we see this here, he has made himself very open for us. Jesus Christ is very transparent. He makes it very clear what this is. This is about him, about our Lord, about our Savior. It's about his righteousness. You know, the the, the entire chapter, and we don't have time to go through all of chapter 4, but it, 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 that's kind of what it's talking about, the justification through faith. And that faith is 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 in him. And it talks about all of these things about Abraham and the faith that was uh, found in him. And he talks about that he wasn't justified by his works, but it was justified by faith in God. Specifically, faith in what God said, and he believed it, and he obeyed. And it matches right up with Hebrews chapter 11. But what we find, if we jump over to chapter 9 very quickly, uh, Romans chapter 9, Romans chapter 9, and in verse 30, it says, What shall we say then? that the Gentiles, which followed not after righteousness, have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness which is of faith. But Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, hath not attained to the law of righteousness. And what he's saying here? He's saying the Gentiles believed Jesus, the Israelites refused Jesus Christ, did not believe him, and they were still working for it today. Just because somebody is is an Israelite, a Hebrew, or a Jew does not mean they're getting into heaven. The Jewish faith, quote-unquote, Jewish religion, the religion of the Jews, as Paul calls it, does not save their souls. It is only through Jesus Christ. Because he said he was the way, he was the life, no man cometh unto the Father but by Jesus Christ not themselves, their pedigree doesn't matter. Because remember, Paul just pointed out what his pedigree was, and he said, it's, yeah, (laughs) dung. It's that faith of Jesus Christ. It's faith in him, it's belief, all of those things that when we trust Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. He makes it clear over there in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, where it says, for by grace are you saved through faith in that not of ourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And then it goes into what we should be doing as we are found in him now, that we're ordained unto those good works that we already read. But I want us to go to one more verse, and I want us to go over to First John chapter 1. 
And I want you to see something here. First John chapter one. First John chapter one. And in verse nine, it says, if we confess our sin, he is faithful. He is faithful. He said he would forgive us and he's faithful to do it. He said he is faithful and just. People want justice in this world. You know how that starts? Through the forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ. And just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You want to know how to get rid of the unrighteousness? You get back to Jesus Christ. That's the issue. So when he's talking about being found in Christ and that he may win Christ, he says, this is all about Jesus. This is all about Christ and who he is and that faith and that righteousness that is only found in him. That's how we have the righteousness of God. Otherwise, we can't get into heaven. If we don't have the righteousness of God, we can't get in. So the only way we get the righteousness of God is through Jesus Christ. That's imputed to us. Praise the Lord, it's given unto us. Praise the Lord, he's been made that unto us. But the expectation is, we need to still put the flesh where it belongs. Not in a position of boasting, not in a position of being better than anyone else, but very clearly, as he talks about here, understanding who we are in light of who he is. Go back over there to chapter 3, and I'll just read this, this just gonna, to continue that thought, where he talks about and being found in him, uh, not having my own righteousness, which is the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him. That I may know him. The very first thing he starts off with. In this, in this list in verse 10, that I may know him. But it's, it's actually the third one down because he's talking about that I, he may win Christ. He wants the, you know, obviously the knowledge of Jesus Christ and he talks about that in verse eight. But then he talks about that he may win Christ and that he may be found in him and that he may know him. So this is the third one on there on this list. And very clearly, he's making it evident that he needs to know who his Savior is. Now, a lot of people will know Jesus Christ as their as their Savior, but many times it doesn't go beyond that. They don't know him as God. They don't know him the way that they're supposed to know him. And they have a very shallow Christian life. And in that shallow Christian life, they're actually floundering around and they're drowning in just like a little teaspoon of, of, of a water as they're floundering about with, with that, struggling with a little sin because they have no depth of knowing who Jesus is. They can't get that concept down. And what we as Christians have to do, what Paul's saying to the Philippians that he wants them to do, that he's trying to do, is to know more about Jesus. Now, that's a very interesting concept, considering who, who that, that, that Paul spent three years having direct revelation from Jesus Christ, and he says he still wants to know him. Still wants to know him. The disciples had three and a half years 
with him. And they still didn't know him because they still didn't believe. And he had to upbraid them over there in Mark chapter 16 for their unbelief. But we see him finally gaining some traction later on. And we're going to see a little bit more about this as we kind of progress through this a little bit uh, further. You know, uh, how are we found? What condition, what state are we found in? Specifically, are we found in this righteousness? Are we found doing what he's asking us to do? Because we know who he is. And we'll take a look at uh, some key important verses next week about that. But we're going to be dismissed with a word of prayer because we're kind of completing this thought a little bit. But let's go ahead and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, again, I thank you for the time. Thank you again for what you've given to us uh, from your word. I pray again, Lord, that we would just have this desire, Lord, to grow in you, to know about you, to learn of you more and more, to know your will for our life on a day-to-day basis. And Lord, how to complete that will through you and through your mindset that you've given to us that we may have. I pray, Lord, you just take us home safely tonight. And again, I thank you for all that you've done for us. And I ask and pray all of this in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.